Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we finish up our series that's designed to focus our attention towards God's will. Throughout the scriptures, we find passages that reveal to us what God's will is, but none are more direct and clear than today's passage from the Lord's Prayer. Today, Lane Hallsworth will walk us through this passage and help us to see that our ability to discern God's will is dependent on our relationship with God. And thanks for joining us through this series as we once again refocus on God's will. Morning. Morning. <clears throat> so I, uh, I met my wife Chelsea on uh, was on her first day of college together. However, um, we didn't start dating for a few years. <clears throat> we always spent some time together. We always took an interest in each other. But I was very much not in a relationship, and uh, she knew that. Well, the spring semester of our junior year, it finally came upon me. I was in love with her. So I asked her to go on a couple of bike rides with me, and finally I was ready to tell her how I was feeling. So we went to a nearby lake uh, by campus there. The sun was gleaming off the water. Everything was just perfect. So I built up the courage to tell her how I was feeling, how I couldn't stop thinking about her, and that I was finally ready for a girlfriend. (laughs) And you know what she said? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Not even a word. So that was not how I thought it was going to (laughs) go. I thought I was going to declare my love for her and we would ride off into the sunset. (laughs) But it didn't. I had pretty much lost her trust after our three years of knowing each other. Basically, I had to show that this newfound love that I had for her was genuine. It took a whole lot of time, energy, and devotion. But eventually she came to her senses. (laughs) And the rest is history. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, a Pharisee asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. How are we doing with that? Is there a burning desire to show him how much that you love him? Would you do anything to please him? And does everything else become afterthought? For the past month or so, we've been focusing on God's will in our lives. 
And today I'm going to go through a couple of different passages that uh, will give some insight on how we become able to align ourselves with God's will and uh, to achieve it. Our main reading comes out of Matthew chapter 6. Um, Jesus is addressing prayer. It's where we find the Lord's Prayer, as we often call it, which we just recited with Tom leading. Um, the first reading is it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And it's just a portion of the prayer here. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first little chunk we're going to pull out here is thy kingdom come. God's kingdom coming doesn't look like us building a city for him to come to. Once he chooses us, his kingdom resides right here, right here inside of us. So if God's kingdom is inside of us, then who do you think is to rule it? It's God. God's kingdom coming is his reign of our bodies, our minds, our decisions, our lives. It's the surrender of our kingdom to his. Do you know why Christians are so hated by communist regimes? exactly because of this truth right here. How do these uh, people and nations get their way? You see it all over the world. You see it here in our country right now in places. How do they get their way? Intimidation? Fear-mongering? Rioting? Bullying? Canceling? And why do us Christians present the most difficult hurdle imaginable to them? Why do they hate us so deeply that they would bring their entire government to persecution? It's because humans can be intimidated. Humans can give in to fear. We can be canceled. But when we have the kingdom of God reigning in our lives, what we present is something that cannot be intimidated or fearful or canceled. Well, that's religious people in general, right? They'll serve a so-called higher power. They may be convinced they do, yes, But there is only one God. There is only one way to him. And there is only one religion where God reaches down. All other religions are clawing their way towards their God. By reaching nirvana, by saying this many prayers at this particular time of day, or doing this, or doing that. There is an action that they must achieve 
in order for the end goal? Well, if there is something that they must achieve, then they are susceptible to outside forces. If they are susceptible to outside forces, then they become malleable to the governments and rulers of these regimes. We are not. We were bought with a price. Our debt has been paid in full. We have nothing to fear in this world. Once we raise our white flag and surrender, we serve the one who reigns inside of us. And he's not malleable. This prayer is a reminder of this. An invitation to God to come reign in us. Help us to submit our human kingdom to his. So on to thy will be done. So we've asked God to come inside of our car. Here we're asking him to drive it. I don't know about you, but I have one of those uh, driver's ed cars with the extra steering wheel and pedals just, be, just in case God gets a little out of hand, you know. <laughs> Slow down, Jesus. So what is God's will? We heard it from Paul on Thanksgiving. We heard it from Derek a couple weeks ago on obedience and authority. And uh, if you remember Ryan's, past Ryan's on a few weeks ago on 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. That is God's will. And is there anything else in here that is God's will? His will is right here. He even wrote it down for us. Most of you know what state uh, my family is in right now. We have three kids under four. I just built a house. Life is pretty hectic. Um, now, what if I spent a bunch of evenings taking piano lessons so that I could uh, sing my wife a Billy Joel song while playing the keys? <laughs> Do you think that would be her will? It, it wouldn't. <laughs> she wants a back rub. She wants a moment of silence. She wants to sleep through the night. She wants a clean house. And how do I know that? By spending time with her. By listening. By observing. Well, I didn't say I did that part. <laughs> I do listen, though. 
So what's easier? Doing things their own way and then throwing God some cash every now and then? Maybe go to church, as long as the Packers aren't on or the fish aren't biting. Or getting to know him. Studying his ways and his life and serving his people. True service takes time, commitment, dedication, and sacrifice. To get to know someone's will, you must get to know them. Obviously, we are corrupt beings who resist God's will in our lives. But there is a motivator more powerful than Satan's temptations. If you would turn with me to uh, John 21, verses 1 through 19. Um, page 1546 in the Pew Bibles, I believe. Somebody could clarify that to get there. Fifteen forty-six. Is that right? Okay. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way: Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. End the the reading. Jesus had returned to earth to the apostles when Thomas placed his hands in the holes of Jesus. He then had them wait for him in Galilee. Well, some time passed and Peter couldn't wait any longer. He decided to go back to his old ways, his old occupation. Jesus had called him to ministry and instead he went fishing. See, God's will for him was to wait. Well, after Peter and the rest of the disciples decided they were going to go fishing instead, guess who shows up? There's a couple things that I want to point out. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, what did he do? In verse 7, he threw himself into the sea. He knew he was disobedient. He didn't hide. He ran to him. And secondly, is what did Jesus do? Made him breakfast. He catches his disciple being clearly disobedient, and he makes him breakfast. God is great, isn't he? Jesus had plans for Peter. And he knew that in order for Peter to follow the plan that he had in store for him, it had to be out of love. God's will can only be done out of love. (laughs) Have you ever had your spouse ask you that? Do you even love me? Dear season. Come on, guys. There's a big difference in this comparison. Your wife or husband or friend could have bad motives, corrupt intentions, etc. And obviously Jesus doesn't. What he wants is what you should do, period. The premise is the same, though, that the motivator here to do it is love. People do remarkable things out of love. Boy, I've been to a lot of weddings that have a whole lot to say about love. 
and nothing to be said about the maker of it. God created love. God is love. God created us. And love is the tool that we use to serve him in obedience. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. So how do we get there? By seeking him. By seeking the God of heaven. When I became interested in Chelsea, I wanted to learn everything about her. The more that I learned about her, the more that I grew to love her. In fact, the love that I share for her now overshadows what I felt for her all those years ago in college by a mile. How do we seek God? By learning his will. Building habits of learning it. And building habits of following it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will in heaven performed on earth. And I want to be very clear. Um, We cannot within ourselves love God. We're naturally hostile to him. If we find ourselves wanting to do God's will, it is because we are his chosen. So you can rest in this. It's because we are his chosen that we ought to be seeking him, running after him, and falling in love with him. What happened when some of you met your spouse? Did you move for them? Change jobs? How about your children? What have you personally sacrificed for them? What have you sacrificed for them out of love? Now, what about God? Peter had abandoned God's will for him went back to his own will. Jesus challenged him on this with this question. If Peter loved him, why wasn't he doing what he asked him? If we love him, why aren't we learning what he wants us to do? And why aren't we doing it? Now, loving your spouse and your children is serving God. But even atheists do it, right? They love their wife. They love their kids. What have you specifically sacrificed for him? This is my point. I'd like to read Revelation 3, verses 15 through 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Here's what I would like to ask of you. You should have an insert in your bulletin here um, with a blank space on it. 
Write your name here where Peter's was. And look at it every, every so often as a reminder. Does Jesus know that I love him? And what am I doing to show it? This is a gut check, but it's not a condemnation. Remember that Jesus made Peter breakfast when he was disobedient. It shouldn't bring guilt and shame, but motivation. He is making breakfast. He just needs us to jump out of the boat and run after him. To learn his will and to strive after it. That his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. If you could pray with me.